Welcome back to the Birth Nurses Podcast. This is Shayna Brickner, and I'm here with my co-host, Liz Baker-Wade. Hey. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. I like that we've been kind of doing this back and forth of like Liz's tips, Shayna's tips. I love it. And today, we are going to hear from you about your top tips for pushing. So... Um, as you have had many years in the hospital setting, and I've had some years too, this is actually pushing was my favorite part of helping a patient with her birth story, her birth experience. Yeah. Um, it it kind of gets, you know, high adrenaline, and you really see the patient like kick into warrior woman mode of like, yeah, yeah let's go. And you see or, the strength. Oh my God. <laughs> That's true. Or the opposite of like, There's I can't a baby do this. Come out of it. <laughs> <laughs> <They look Exactly>. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm excited to hear your tips today because I think this is an, a stage of labor that, that people are really scared of mm-hmm. because we're, constantly learning more things about birth, constantly researching, constantly getting more evidence, how to change our practice. But I think um, we have to be the forerunners in getting things going and getting things changing to a better way. So I'm really glad we're doing this episode to get it out there into the world that there can be better ways to push. And for our listeners, if you want to hear more about pushing or the second stage of labor, you can reference back to our earlier episodes. Episode 16 with Brittany Sharp McCollum was awesome. We did talk about pushing in that episode. And then again, in episode 21, we interviewed a pelvic floor physical therapist named Bree, and she talked to us about pushing as well. So if you are just in this kick of wanting to learn more about pushing, reference those episodes, and I'll say them again at the end, and I'll probably link them in the show notes. So here we go, Liz. Let's hear your top tips for pushing. Welcome to the Birth Nurses Podcast. I'm Shana Brickner from Preparented, and I'm joined by my co-host, Liz Baker-Wade from Birth and Beyond in Santa Monica. We are the Birth Nurses. In this podcast, we talk about birth and nursing practice and labor and delivery, and in a broader sense, the whole world of nursing, too. From two women who have been on both sides of the birthing bed, we've got some things to talk about that will enhance your understanding of birth. Whether you're a first-time pregnant parent, a parent to one or more babies, or a professional in the birth world, this podcast is for you. Join me and Liz and special guests as we share and learn from each other here on the Birth Nurses Podcast. Okay, so I want to start with saying that there is no absolute predictable way to get a baby out. Everybody's (laughs) going to do it differently. I am very into variety, changing positions, moving, instinctual pushing, non-directed pushing, whatever I can. And we have to talk a little bit about the patient who has an epidural and who doesn't. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about sensation. Okay. In the patient with an epidural, we call it Ferguson's reflex. It is the feeling of pressure in the rectal area when the baby's head descends low into the pelvis, that might be one of the triggers of needing to bear down. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, an epidural won't 
interrupt that receptor, what we call the baroreceptor, and that receptor is the sensation of pushing, at, while at the same time decreases the sensation of pain. Yeah, I like to call it, it kind of feels like a little tickle in your butthole. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Or some people just will say, being frank. Uh -oh, I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah. oh, I feel like I have to check my picture. Right. <laughs> and so we love the fact that we can use that patient's sensation, her own instinctual effort, even with an epidural. If an epidural has you so densely blocked that you lose that sensation, then there's other things such as sense memory. Hmm. And sense memory is your brain knows how to push because we all do yeah. right yeah absolutely so sometimes when I tell the patient look the baby's right down here take a breath and bear down in your rectum and they're moving the baby mm -hmm. and the patient often says to me I don't feel anything I said but your brain does but you're doing it yep you know how to do it so we don't have to worry about whether you're feeling it or not because you're gonna push this baby out now if they can't then we would have the anesthesiologist or the nurse anesthetist come into the room, lower the epidural mm -hmm. a little bit in increments yeah. so that we get that baroreceptor uh, back. We get that sensation of pressure. So there's things yeah. we can do when you have an epidural to make pushing more um, effective. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, when you don't have an epidural, often you feel the sensation of push when the baby's higher up in the pelvis. Because there's nothing interrupting yes. that Ferguson's reflex. Yeah. Right? You might, the nurse might say to the patient, or I know I've said, do you feel pushy? Right. pushy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you or like pushing. You'll, yeah. You'll see it like all yes. of a sudden. I'm like, are you pushing? Yes. It's like, oh, I feel like it. I'm like, okay, great. And I really try not to interrupt that process. Mm. So I get the doctor on the phone and say, you should come. And um, I don't try to make patients hold back ever, unless the cervix is not fully dilated. Sometimes yep. bearing down on a dilated, undilated cervix can cause swelling of the cervix, and then we're kind of going in the other direction. Right. So there is some finessing to do, there's some communication to do, and occasionally there's a vaginal exam that could be done to say, oh, let's try some other strategies. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes even head down, tush up in the air, or uh, modified child's pose to get the baby off the cervix right. for a little bit of a rest if a patient feels the overwhelming urge to push. Yeah. And when and to push is sort of a decision of trying to get the maximum benefit out of pushing. Right. So you mentioned before, we definitely want the cervix to be 10 centimeters dilated. And we want to feel some kind of sensation mm -hmm. to know that it's time to push. Mm -hmm. And then for waiting, we would only wait if the cervix isn't 10 centimeters. But what about the position of the baby's head? Right. So we know from past conversations that successful vaginal birth outcome has something to do with the size and shape of the fetal head in relation to the size and shape of the maternal pelvis. I talk about this a lot in class. But we also know that babies will rotate into an optimal fetal position, sometimes mm -hmm. completely and often on their own during the pushing effort. So if you've had an occipit posterior lie, a lot of back pain, 
your nurse and OB says the baby's sunny side up and it's taken a long time to get to pushing, first, that does not mean you're not going to have a successful vaginal birth outcome, although evidence does show that prolonged posterior lie can increase the C-section rate. Mm. But sometimes the baby decides to rotate at the very end. Yeah. And it's just one of those kids, so... Yeah. You just go for it. And then we want a low enough position, right, with yeah. the fetal station. Yeah, absolutely. Again, if you don't have an epidural and you're very thinned out and almost 10 centimeters, I have had patients completely successfully just push through mm. nine and a half centimeters because they just have to. Yep. I'm not there to, t- you know, I, I always joke about this in class also. I find it when a doctor says, tell her not to push. And I'm like, right, I'll be sure and tell her. <laughs> Like, and they have no epidural, yeah, we'll and there's see like about a grapefruit that. in her rectum that's uh-huh. bearing down. And they look at me like, are you insane? I'm like, that is never going to happen. I cannot stop yeah. pushing. And yeah. I'm just like, you know what? Just push away. I have a little Don't story about this. So with my first baby, actually, I was just reflecting on this, mm-hmm. that with all three of my babies, I needed help getting to 10 centimeters. Mm-hmm. I always had an anterior lip of my cervix. Mm-hmm. So there was anterior lip means just there's just a little bit of cervix left. I wasn't completely 10 centimeters, but then the midwife or the doctor just helped push it out of the way a little it's bit. It's reducing the cervix. Reducing the cervix. Mm-hmm. And with my first baby, I felt pushy. I want to say at like seven or eight yeah, centimeters. Often. Because I didn't have an epidural. It's called the fetal ejection reflex. Mm-hmm. And they were telling me like, okay, you're not 10 centimeters I know it's hard to control that, but just do little grunts, like, uh, or uh, yeah, just little, quick little grunts, uh, yeah, and not the full long pushes like I wanted to do. So mm-hmm. that was so hard to like reverse my body. It's kind of like you need to to dry heave, yeah, but the opposite, yeah. That's the fetal ejection reflex. You need to dry heave your baby out below so funny and i it was you can't it's hard to control that to stop yourself i often practice that with my own patient Mm -hmm. because often when the baby is on the perineum and the perineum is stretched to its fullest we're trying to avoid a tear yeah so instead of taking a deep breath and blasting the head out i'm like just try some grunts yes and let's see if we could do it that way Mm -hmm. and then you know you also have to sort of take a temperature of the room, right. which we are going to talk about. Yeah. So one of the things that we talk about is, well, we've discussed this before, A1 and ACOG, and that's the Association of Women's Health Obstetrics and Neonatal Nurses and ACOG, American College of Obstetricians. Their positions change on when to push, and the recent literature suggests that laboring down once you are fully dilated, which means allowing the head to descend into the pelvis for one hour. Without actively pushing. Without actively pushing, right, for one hour to get that head low for a um, multip and uh, two hours for a primate, a first-time mom. And that laboring down for hours and hours does not really improve outcomes. Also, especially if the membranes are ruptured, we don't really want the baby sitting there for hours and hours, right. especially if you're in bed in a hospital setting, mm-hmm. um, because there's no really great evidence that that helps. So we really want to get to it. Um, there are considerations. Are you a mom with hypertension? Mm. Are you a mom that's getting a maternal fever? Mm-hmm. We'd like to get that baby out. Yeah. 
right? So we take all of that into consideration. But let's just talk about the actual pushing. Yeah. Some of the things we do um, are really helpful and some are really counterproductive. So one of the things that we want to take into consideration is which position does the patient push well? Sometimes we hit on one and I'm like, well, let's just do this because this is working. You're moving that baby. It's comfortable for you. When I look at the fetal heart rate tracing, the baby's tolerating this. And remember, we're talking about birthing in the hospital setting here. If you're birthing at home, we listen to the fetal heart rate, right? But we have to act on what we see in the hospital setting, which can be problematic. Right. So when I find a position that works well, I want to make sure, A, that my patient is comfortable, that she feels like she has some control over this, mm-hmm. that she feels like I'm communicating with her and I am allowing her to have some agency in the way that she wants to be, and that the baby is safe and that she's safe. Yes. So what do I mean by she's safe? Mm-hmm. Well, there is something called Lenny, lower extremity nerve injury, and this is a potential complication of vaginal birth. And there's not a whole lot of public research, published research available on prevention and prognosis. But one of the problems of Lenny is caused by positioning and it is considered preventable. And these recommendations for care include avoiding prolonged hyperflexion of a woman's thighs and knees. This drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. You know I have a pet peeve about this. Mm -hmm. One of my top five pet peeves when the nurse or obstetrician is driving the patient's knees into her ears, especially if she has epidural anesthesia. Basically, she looks like a frog on her back. Exactly. (laughs) And how do you know that that patient's normal range of motion allows her knees to get back there? Exactly. Just because you can't feel the pain doesn't mean we're not damaging the nerves in your lower extremities. Right. So I often will suggest to nurses, new nurses of course, and I do it myself as I ask my patient to get in bed. And I said, just do me a favor, let's get in a semi-sitting position. Grab your knees, pull your knees back. I just want to see what your normal range of motion. And I don't go past that. Yeah. No. Right? Because I know that I can be tearing muscles, causing injury, especially lower extremity nerve injury that can be really, really difficult to treat. Once you have nerve injury, it is very, very difficult to get that back. Yep. And that's why we have these also these lovely um, people working in pelvic floor injury. Yes. <laughs> that we can We need cause. them. Right. So <laughs> we want to make sure that we are taking good care by taking into consideration that this is a person's body. Right. And that there is a particular range of motion for that person. That's yes. one thing you can do is ask your team not to drive your knees back into your ears. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there are ways to say this. You know, I read some literature and I'm really feeling very uh, concerned about getting an extremi- lower extremity injury. If you could just allow me to hold my knees to this, is posi- this position, yeah. so on and so forth. Or... Since you guys know about closed knee pushing, where you angle your knees inwards, then that would totally eliminate this problem. Right. We're going to definitely talk about closed knee. Absolutely. Um, What are some other things that the nurse should know about? So now I'm 
you know, our podcasts, we're talking to a variety of people in our audience, patient, potential patient, future patient, and then birth workers. And so for the labor and delivery nurse, what are some things that she can do or he can do to assist in Great this question. pushing? We are stage. creatures of habit. I'm into my 33rd year as an obstetric nurse, and I know that sometimes I could just go into my, you know, robotaton head, and I am constantly looking at new literature, and I have to push against that, mm. especially and easier, I should say, especially easy to talk to new nurses because they don't really have a point of reference and they haven't been shown bad habits yet. Um, When a nurse comes into my room and wants to help, um, I would like them to take notice. So nurses, take notice of the tone of the room Mm -hmm. and let's just talk about how your nurse or the nurse is pushing with the patient. So some of the things is change it up. Mm -hmm. I like to sideline. I like sideline pushing. I think it's great. Gets the patient off her back. This is especially in a patient who has an epidural. Um, I like to do semi-sitting. Then I might go to the other side. Then I might bring a squat bar in. Something called towel pull. Love towel pull. So good. And um, I use the squat bar as an apparatus for towel pull, not necessarily squatting. Right. So I have the patient put her feet on the squat bar. I throw a sheet over the top of the bar, I have her grab it with both hands, Mm -hmm. and she's almost doing a crunch sit-up. Right. So she's using her own resistance completely and entirely independently Mm -hmm. to bear down. And I think this works great. It does. And if it doesn't, we move on. Mm -hmm. Right? So there's five or six different positions that we can get into that might be just a way to change it up so the patient doesn't get bored. Right. Plus, we have the fetal heart rate to consider because, Mm -hmm. again, we are in the hospital setting, so we have to act on what we see. So if the baby doesn't like a position, meaning the baby shows signs of deceleration of the fetal heart rate, we call that fetal distress. Try to let that go. (laughs) It's an all-encompassing term. It's not your fault. I might just say, if you go on your right side, Oh, look, baby likes this better. Let's mm-hmm. try this. That's all. Yep. So change it up. Don't be afraid to ask your nurse or caregiver to allow you to have different positions. Particularly underused position is hands and knees. I love hands and knees. I love hands and knees too. What is the issue with hands and knees in the hospital setting, especially with the patient with epidural anesthesia, is movement, mobility, heaviness of the leg. So you do have to do a good assessment of your patient's strength mm-hmm. so that you don't what? Injure her. Right. When you are pulling up a pregnant woman and trying to get her on her hands and knees, that is injury to the nurse. Right. Could be injurious to the patient's low back because they're twisting mm-hmm. and pulling. And so when I say I can't get my patient on my hands and knees, it's because I can't risk injury to myself right. or injury to my patient because she can't feel twisting and turning of her lumbar spine and her hip flexor. So yeah. I have to be really careful. If the patient has excellent mobility, you know, we have plenty of patients could easily get up and mm-hmm. walk around with an epidural. It's not the standard of care and it's a no-no, but you have they can get right up on their hands and knees. I totally like to uh, try that. I yeah. think it's great, and it works really well for what we call asynclitic 
or heads that are coming down, what I call cattywonky, <laughs> or a posterior head if you're having a lot of back pain yep. because the baby's head falls to the hammock of the abdomen. This is what I did with my third baby. He was posterior. Oh. I was. I had an epidural. Yeah. And I was able to get up on my hands and knees. Great. Um, the annoying part for me as the patient, and if I were the nurse getting someone on hands and knees with an epidural, is moving the cords. Ugh, the cords <laughs> and the IV tubing and the epidural right, catheter right. and but, the Foley. Yeah, but disconnect the blood pressure cuff. You don't need that for right now. Right. Like, you try to yeah, try it. to take away a few things. Maybe the pulse oximeter. Right. So you have a few less cords to work with. But, yeah, yeah. the mon- maybe you put wireless monitors instead of the monitors attached to the machine. Always ask for a telemetry yeah. monitor. So there are ways to reduce all the wires and cords. But the IV, the epidural, tubing... That that's still going to be there. So well, you know what? I have to tell you. I just did this recently again. If my patient is not on pitocin mm-hmm. or on any other medications, I disconnect the IV. But still, the epidural's going in. Yeah. Oh, great. I mean, as long as my patient has good blood pressure, yeah, and I can see the fetal heart rate. So what if she doesn't have IV fluids running for an hour? Right. No big deal. Right. So just and she's probably drinking one fluids. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm I'm happy. And if we've got the head low enough mm-hmm. that the Foley catheter is also gone, then I got another tube. Nice. So I really try to minimize all that. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> I can't stand it. So change it up. Let the nurse um, know that you would like to try different positions. Yeah. Let her know what's comfortable and what isn't comfortable. Yeah. Really, really important. I also want to say a word to the partners. Um, which maybe, I don't know if you're going to get to this, but when you are the laboring person and you can't, you're in your own little bubble. bubble. You cannot think about advocating for yourself and telling the nurse that you want to try oh, closed yeah. knee pushing because you learned that in birth class a month ago. It's It totally left your brain. Mm-hmm. But if your partner took a birth class with you, which they should... Um, then, and perhaps you wrote a quick little birth plan or just discuss that with your partner or your doula, then they can be your advocate. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, people get intimidated and nurses get intimidated to talk to the OB and patients get intimidated to talk to their nurses and their OB. Mm. So well-meaning OBs may come into the room and sort of interrupt my flow and start pushing the patient's knees back and then voices escalate and um, we're, we have to kind of rope that in. But let me talk about one other position. Yes. There is a position called McRoberts. McRoberts is a position where the patient's knees are uh, not out like a frog and not closed knee but neutral to be pushed back as far as comfortable. And this is a position that we use when we have a head that's out and shoulders that are getting a little mm. bit stuck in there. And I often get my patient into McRoberts sometimes just for what seems like a longer push because sometimes that does the trick. Yeah. So just changing it up to something that doesn't happen to actually fit the situation of um, a birth where now things are escalated because there's a stuck baby, mm-hmm. try that. You yeah. have the tools, you're in the room with the patient, go ahead and give that a shot. Because another maneuver for shoulder dystocia, where the shoulders are stuck, is that 
uh, you would do the Gaskin maneuver, right? Hands and there's and a knees. lot of obstetricians that have no idea what a Gaskin is, is. and then and so we have to rely on what that obstetrician does. Mm. We try lots of maneuvers to dislodge shoulders yeah. when we have what we call shoulder dystocia. Mm-hmm. But I'm just talking about for regular pushing. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. And again, to advocate for yourself and partners advocate for your laboring partner and say, we would just prefer to try left side and right side and towel pull and hands and knees. And we would like you to honor our wishes because there's no evidence that that should not be considered. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I totally get it. I guess I was bringing up Gaskin Maneuver because that's basically hands and knees. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing hands and knees before, you would need... Gaskin maneuver. And there's also ways to deliver the anterior and the posterior shoulder when we get into sticky situations. And the obstetrician should, it's not that they don't know how, they aren't comfortable using it. I can't tell you still that 80% of our doctors say, no, I don't like to push on their hands and knees. And it's because they don't like to deliver on their hands and knees because it's messy. Sure. And there sometimes is stool, God forbid. And there's amniotic fluid that goes splashing all over the place. But you know what? Not your problem. If the right? patient wants to do it that that's way, right. that's how she wants and to have her baby. Put on booties and a gown. Yeah, and face mask maybe. Get your face shield, shield yeah. on, and nurses can put a towel there and help contain some of that fluid that comes rushing yeah. out. But if this is the way that's comfortable and most effectively helping this baby descend, it should not at any time be omitted out of the possibility of pushing positions. Yes, absolutely. So um, there's a couple of other things about breath holding. Hmm. This is just another thing. Go for it, Liz. And you know, I, I <laughs> like, um, you know, you've worked with me for before your, before your labor and delivery retirement and foray <laughs> into breast lactation consulting. Lactation consulting. <laughs> I don't really like a um, hyperactive yelling kind of coaching. That doesn't mean that I can't escalate into being a cheerleader sure. when necessary. Because some people really do respond to that. Totally. But nurses that come into the room, there's a tone that I have established with my patient of a way that we're making this happen. And then, and I've totally been guilty of this, by the way. I just want to let everybody know that I am fully aware that I have done this. You go into a room and then you have to put in your two cents. And I have been reminded, we're good. Just help me do this, this, and this, but I'm pushing. And I, I do the same thing. I like to have that relationship. I like to be able to say to the room in a nonverbal way. So if you're a sensitive person and you walk into the room, then you should be able to see what's going on there before you start offering advice yeah. and start pushing with my patient. So I'm not a big yeller. I don't really like to count out loud over and over and over again, unless the patient asks to. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't like terms that are negative, punitive, punishing, Mm. um, that make the patient feel like she's less than. Um, That kind of language is um, never should be uttered and has no place in the labor and delivery room. There's a couple of them. Want to hear them? Yeah, I do. The obvious. You're just not pushing well enough. Well, right there. It's like, 
Yeah. Don't you think that patient's pushing as well? And she's as she been can. pushing for two hours. Right. Like she's been working the hardest she's ever worked in her she's whole been life. She's been for yeah. 20 hours. Exactly. Or not. You and know, now like, you're telling her she's not good enough. Yeah. That's what she hears. I hear I'm it. not good enough. Well, she, th- yeah. because basically that's what you're saying. Yes. I mean, I think the patients are intuitive to know. I just was told I'm inadequate. Right. And so there's no reason to use that kind of language. And there's Pull your no. Knees back more. Right, right. Right. More. It's like, okay, wait a minute. So I'm not My doing patient's knees yeah. right, are in her ears. You don't know that that is a safe range of motion. Mm-hmm. The caregiver is driving the patient's knees with her hand on the patient's foot back into her ears. I cringe and I often will say, stop. Mm-hmm. This is not okay. This is not her range of motion. Another one is, you have to hold your breath longer. Okay, so you're fully pregnant. As her eyes are right. busting out of her head. Exactly. And her face is purple. Oh, my god! It's like, gosh. well, how about you hold your breath longer and right. see how that goes? It's like, <laughs> what it, longer than what? It's like, if you can hold your breath for five or six seconds and push, that's okay with me. Mm-hmm. We'll just get a few more pushes in this cycle. Sure. Yeah. And if you can't hold your breath longer, longer. So that you have blood vessels breaking and Goodness your face gracious. in your eyes and your face is turning red purple. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, okay, no, stop. Mm-hmm. The other one that I don't particularly like is get mad. You hear obstetricians say yes. that all the time. Yep. They don't mean it in a bad way or a punitive way, but the get mad thing, it's like, I don't want you to get mad. I want you to get excited. Yeah. So we need to replace those two. Try to take energy and pressure away from your face and down to your abdomen. Yes. Yes. Uh, excellent effort. Let's do that a few more pushes. Mm-hmm. Let's change it up and try a new one. What do you feel like doing instinctively? What feels good to you? Yes. You're doing great. Get it. I often say that. Get it. Dig down in there. Get it. Get yes. it. And my favorite is I want you to take a deep breath, hold your breath, and push to you. Don't feel like you can't comfortably anymore. Blow it out. Dip mm-hmm. your chin up. Take a nice deep breath. Do it again. You push till you don't feel you're comfortable pushing anymore, and then stop. And that gives the patient some control. Yes. But I certainly do not attach some exact amount of seconds Mm -hmm. that she has to push because that's what it says in the books, and I really, really wish people would stop. The other thing is open glottal pushing. Mm -hmm. Some people push better without holding their breath at all. Right. Right. And blowing out or the uh, letting some air pass love through. Love that. Yeah. Open glottal pushing, exhale pushing. Mm-hmm. Not everybody has to come in and do it the same way. That's true. Yeah. I want to go back to what you said about instinct. I think mm. we don't give laboring women enough credit that their instinct is so helpful. Mm-hmm. And, and that's... If, if they weren't in the hospital and they were just giving birth in the woods, like, they would they would do it because it's their instinct. Correct. And similarly, like, your baby is working off of instinct when breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. You have this maternal instinct already. And reflex. And reflex. Absolutely. When you're in labor and when you're pushing to yeah. know, like, what feels right. I'm just not feeling that position. Let's change it. I, I'm not sure about this. Now with the invention and the introduction of modern medicine with the epidural, that has dulled those reflexes and the instincts. But I think you still can have like a gut intuition about like, 
I just don't feel right about this or or something it's hurts. not working like, something hurts. says I have yeah. a searing pain when I when I'm turned to my right mm. or my left a little bit and the nurse will say well you're pushing well this way like completely totally ignoring ignoring it. what she yeah. just said it's like okay let's get some pillow support under your abdomen mm-hmm. let's get some towel rolls under there let's make you comfortable so you can yes. concentrate on this effort yes yeah just listening totally just listening is the most such such a valuable thing yeah because birth is eminent and they know it and this is not for us to make the patient perform this is for us to help the patient achieve right this Mm -hmm. birth and that they're a part of a team that is on your side you know i'm on your side and we're going to get through this sometimes i'll tell my patient look it might take us 30 minutes before we get into the groove of this. Mm-hmm. So if you don't push, I have quotes in the air here, right, right. or well, or Gosh. enough, or hard enough, for the first 10 pushes, we're cool. Mm-hmm. And people are like, I feel like we should, you know, I should be doing this. And I always joke and say, do you have a very important lunch meeting today? I'm like, where are we going? <laughs> or have you, if it's a first time mom, yeah. have you ever done this before? Right. How do you know I, that you, you know, know how to do it? Yeah. I said, you and I are just locked in this room until the baby comes out. Yes. <laughs> so we can try all kinds of things today. Now, I have a question going mm-hmm. back a little bit about like an obstetrician coming in and kind of rushing yeah. the patient. Yeah. Perhaps the the doctor is noticing D cells on the fetal monitor strip, exactly. and they're responding to that. Oh, we got to get this baby out because there's so many D cells. Right. What What do you say about that? Well, I have some what thoughts. I will generally do, and this I would say ninety five or more percent of the time this goes well. Is it? How about and that we just stop pushing for mm-hmm. a few minutes, give this baby a rest, mm-hmm. let this baby internally recover yes and maybe we'll push every other there's very very good evidence for pushing every other contraction to better oxygenate the fetus yes there's very good evidence about pushing every other contraction to protect the pelvis Mm. the pelvic floor Mm -hmm. the vaginal floor so usually i'll say to hey dr so-and-so we've had some decelerations in the fetal heart rate that's often cord compression so we're gonna we're gonna take it back a notch Mm -hmm. And most of the time, I would say it at my hospital, and probably most hospitals, I was like, okay, whatever, yeah. call me. Call me if you need me. Yeah. Or this baby's low enough that we might be able to help this baby out with a fetal vacuum mm. safely to shorten the second stage, yeah. which is appropriate because we're in that sort of, should we go to surgical birth, which increases our complications, or is it low enough to use a fetal vacuum? Not that it doesn't have complications, but we look at risk benefit for both, and that's for the obstetrician to decide. So he or she may say to me, is it low enough to get Liz? And I'm like, yeah, it's super low, or eh, not really. Yeah. So I'm gonna completely stop pushing for a half an hour, mm-hmm. get my patient nice and comfy, mm-hmm. provided she has an epidural, Yeah. and um, we'll start again. Yeah. So it's okay to slow it down, and I often try to do exactly that. I do find it interesting when caregivers come into the room and say, well, push this way, this works better, when there's no evidence to prove it, and if this worked better, then all of your patients would deliver in 25 minutes. So clearly, <laughs> we know that um, 
not everybody is going to perform right. to the obstetrician's expectations, and we just have to let this process play out. Yeah. Yeah. I experienced something really cool, and one of my coworkers as well, when I was working, um, we were... St- we were stuck kind of in the pushing stage. I had been probably an hour and a half, two hours, and and the patient was tired. Yeah. And I was like, you know what, let's take a break. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of discussing things with my coworker, and she's like, how about you try sideline hip release mm-hmm. in this break time? Right. So I went in there, had her on her side, leaning that top leg way over. over. Almost hanging And I was just, yep, and I was just giving her a hip massage, kind of a butt massage. Mm -hmm. She was like, ooh, that feels really nice. And then we flipped, we did the other side, Mm -hmm. and then that was maybe a total of 20, 30 minutes of a break, Mm -hmm. but with a massage. Yeah. And then we got back to pushing, and soon after, she had her baby. Yeah. So. Ask the nurse for closed knee pushing. Mm. There's some very good evidence. And on my Instagram at birth nurse Liz, uh, there's a really nice little video that shows closed knee pushing and the effect it has on the lower uh, pelvis, the Mm -hmm. pelvic outlet. So when, when nurses and doctors come in and spread my patient's knees out, and I'm like, we've already done that. We're doing this now. Changing it's okay it. to say we've already done that for two hours and now we're doing this and we've made some movement. Yeah. So don't be afraid. Ask your nurse. And if your nurse says, well, I don't really know what sideline hip release is or I've never done closed knit pushing, it's okay mm-hmm. to say, I'm going to go find someone that does. Mm-hmm. Right? More labor and delivery units need to teach more uh, up-to-date Flying cowgirl, side release, um, those kinds of things yeah. can really, really change it up. Definitely. And, yeah. Now, I see in your notes here, you have a little word about a tool that we commonly use during pushing. Can you talk about it? Yeah. I love the birth ball. And the birth ball is a blown up rubber. Big. It's like a yoga ball. It's a yoga yeah. ball. Yeah. I often see people also use the wrong size. They get in a little teeny 55 centimeter ball, which would be perfect for somebody your size because you're teeny. How tall? I'm <laughs> five feet tall. Or 11 and, <laughs> and a half yeah. on a good day. So, a 55 <laughs> centimeter ball, but most women over 5'2, five, 5'3 five, should, should be using a 65 centimeter ball. Um, you want to make sure that your hips are slightly higher than your knees and that you're, right? Mm-hmm. And that you can plant your feet firmly on the ground when you're sitting on this ball. Yes. And the ball is not to be bounced upon. I don't know where people get that. You can fly off. The ball can move. If you happen to get a little air, you can get injured. Right. Plus, it does not do anything to bring on labor. However, I just, when I watch a woman bouncing on a ball, all I can see in my head is the orthopedic surgeon who's going to repair your lower lumbar discs. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. It's like you've got a huge load of baby in front of you. Yeah. We and like carrying all this weight. Yeah. We like, like the swiveling and the circling. Yes. Circling, yeah. swiveling. Front to back. Front to back. Yeah. Coolest circles. Yes. Love it. Okay. But let's go to our newest tool, the peanut ball, mm-hmm. which is exactly, I always think it's funny because it's called a peanut ball and it's not a ball. It's not round. <laughs> it looks like it's, a peanut. It looks like a peanut. It's a blown up peanut of various sizes depending on a tall mom, medium mom, little mom. Right. People are obsessed with peanut ball. Nurses 
and doctors. Is she on a peanut ball? <laughs> I'm like, well, she's one centimeter. Right. That's not the baby good. is minus two stations. Let's get her moving. And all it does is abduct the hip flexors. Mm-hmm. And I find people in the morning who have been on a peanut ball all night long, and it makes me insane. And the reason why is because it hasn't done anything but hold the patient's position in yeah. one place, which is never a good idea. Right. Uh, restricts movement and has no evidence that this is helpful. Where the peanut ball is helpful is when that baby starts to descend through the mid pelvis into the pelvic outlet between the patient's legs down mm. by the ankle and calf, allowing the knees to fall together. Yes. It's comfortable. Right? Yes. But fully holding the patient's legs apart for hours and hours on end is not good practice. There is no literature in A1 or ACOG Mm. to support it. However, used at the right time, there is position statements on peanut balls helping lower the C-section rate. Wow. So just ask your nurse, when is the optimal time to use the peanut ball? Because I'm only one centimeter. And some people get an epidural at two or three centimeters with the head not well applied. It's not really in the pelvis yet. So that's not the time. Mm -hmm. Ask your nurse and tell her it's okay if you don't know. Yeah. I would always do past seven centimeters. Yeah. Yeah. Even if the baby is very low, zero station, Mm -hmm. well applied, coming down, right? Yeah. Just not high at prodromal labor. Right. So remember... Lots of different position changes. Yes. Tell your nurse and your caregiver. Uh, Involve your doula, of course. You and your doula, if you happen to have one, have probably fully discussed position changes. Um, Ask the nurse for a squat bar and towel pull technique. Yeah. Change it up. Ask her if you can disconnect your IV if you're not on medications or Pitocin so that you have more freedom. Remove Mm -hmm. the blood pressure cuff for just 15 minutes. Yeah so that you have more freedom to get up on your legs and not to drive your knees into your ears if that is not your normal range of motion. Right. I don't know if it yeah. is and many okay people's range of motion. Right. Yogis. Unless, yeah, if they've been, if they've been doing prenatal yoga yeah. through their whole pregnancy. Yeah. yeah, and you know, everybody meets that rubber band patient. She's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, I can mm-hmm. do that. I'm like, okay, awesome, great, do that. If yeah. that feels comfortable. Yeah. And don't forget, feel comfortable talking to your obstetrician when they come yes. in the room about, I don't want my knees driven back into my ears. I want to have a more neutral position. Mm-hmm. I'd like to be able to push non-directed. I can only hold my breath for six seconds. Right. And please don't use statements that are negative if I'm not pushing as fast or as hard enough as you think is necessary. I'm doing the best I can. Right. Yeah. Take control of the room. Love this, Liz. Thank you so much for all of these tips. Um, Yeah, so again, if you want to reference more episodes about pushing, you can go to episode 16 or episode 21. And then, of course, this one, share with your friends who are going to go into labor soon so that they can utilize all of these tips to know how to have a smooth second stage of labor, their pushing stage, and have a safe hospital delivery. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Bye, everybody.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Birth Nurses Podcast. If you enjoyed this, there are a few ways you can support us. First, you can share this podcast with your pregnant friends or new moms. Secondly, you can write a review and rate us on iTunes. And thirdly, we would love if you would check out our Instagram accounts and websites. I'm on Instagram as Preparented and online www.preparented.com. And Liz is on Instagram as Birth Nurse Liz, and her website is birthandbeyond.net. Thanks for listening.